So at this time, we're going to open up to Romans chapter 4, and we are going to continue our study in the Word of God. And of course, we'll be also continuing our worship. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings you bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus just being obedient to the point of death where he died in our place. And we thank you for the resurrection. Oh, we thank you for those of us who are here in this place tonight. We are believers. Lord, your your goodness, your word says, led us to repentance. And we thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We pray, Lord, for every ministry and every servant that's going on on that that's here on this campus, every ministry that's going on on this campus. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will have its way, that you'll empower every servant, that all of us, Lord, will just serve in your love, your joy, as well as in your power. We pray for anybody who's not a believer tonight, Lord, that you would tug on their hearts, that you would convict, that you remove spiritual blinders, that you would draw them by your spirit and by your love tonight. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and a fresh filling of your spirit. Help me, Lord, to clearly communicate your heart to the people in this building tonight. And may you be glorified and may I decrease in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just to review, uh, justification, because we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight, is an act of God by which he declares the sinner not guilty, but instead declares them righteous by imputing or crediting Christ's righteousness to them or to their spiritual accounts. All of us as sinners, born sinners, born with the sin nature, we are spiritually poor. And so hopefully Many of us, and I believe many of us in this place, and if you haven't already, I pray that you will recognize that you are poor in spirit and by faith receive that righteousness from God that comes through faith in Christ. And so not only is that person who has been justified, cleared of all charges, in other words, forgiven, but righteousness, again, so important. Is credited to them. So you have a couple things going on there. And that's going to be illustrated in tonight's lesson. And so obviously we'll continue with this topic of justification through faith to be exact. Because that conversation started a little bit, at least in more detail in Romans chapter 3. But now we're going to take a magnifying glass and look at an example of a man who was justified, that is justified by faith. And his name, of course, is Abraham. And he was the most or is the most revered ancestor of the Jews. In fact, the three major religions, if you want to group Christianity in there, it's more of a relationship. But Christianity, we revere, of course, Abraham. Muslims and Jews revere Abraham, and so his name is great as God had promised to him. And so we're going to look at his life, look at how he was justified or declared righteous. And we're going to look at his life, look at his justification through faith, 
just to show that this principle is not new. It's not just a New Testament thing being justified by faith. And so with that, let's look at verse one in Romans four. And it begins with the question. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? It could also read as follows. What then shall we say that Abraham, the forefather of the Jews, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, by doing some type of ritual or good works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted or imputed to him for righteousness. And as we studied in our last lesson, neither do we have anything to boast about when it comes to being justified, forgiven and being declared righteous in the sight of God. But there is something that we can boast about. And what is that? I'd like you to turn to or write down Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory or boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man boast or brag in his riches. But let him who glories, let the person who's going to boast or brag glory in this. And here's the answer to the question that he understands and know me, that he understands and knows the true and the living God of the Bible. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment or justice and righteousness in the earth for in these I delight, says the Lord. So we don't have anything to boast about. We are not good enough to be justified or to be declared righteous on our own. We don't have a heaven to put ourselves in. We can't work our way there. We can't work our way into God's good graces on the right side of his list. We can't work our way there. Therefore, of course, we cannot boast, but we can boast that we know the true and the living God, that we know the creator of the universe that we know the author of the scriptures that we are blessed to read tonight. In verse four, now to him who works, the wages or his pay are not counted grace as grace, but it's counted as debt, as something to be owed. So if we working for salvation, working to be justified in the sight of God, then whatever is paid is according to what God would owe and not according to grace, which is God's unmerited favor. It is a gift that we cannot earn. We cannot work our way towards. And so God, just so we all are clear, is not indebted to anyone. Neither will he ever be. He will never be the one who owes us anything. The only one that the only thing that we are owed or deserve, of course, is justice. And that's death. That's eternal separation from God. That is justice. That is what we deserve. That is what is owed to us. But I would much rather have mercy. 
us not getting what we really deserve. I would much rather have grace, gift, God's unmerited favor, his gift to us. But no, God will not ever be indebted to any of us. But to him in verse five, who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Those of us who do not have a right relationship with God. Then that person's faith is accounted for righteousness because we're not working for it, but we're believing on him. Just as David, that is King David, also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed, he writes, which means how happy are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered or put out of sight. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin or charge with sin. And of course, those two verses in verses seven and eight are taken from Psalm 32 verses one and two. The Holy Spirit gave his inspired word to King David. Now, in verses six through eight, we see that this most popular king of Israel is now being used as an example to support that principle of being justified by God apart from works. Now, in David's own personal life, this was a relief because he had at one point confessed his sin to God because he had lusted after Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her and he even had her husband Uriah killed because he got her pregnant, didn't want him to find out about it. He tried to set it up where Uriah, when he came back from the battlefield, would spend the night with his wife so that he can cover up the baby that was in her womb and and pretend that it was Uriah's. But of course, that didn't work. And so he resorted to having this man, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. And he asked God for forgiveness. He confessed his sin to God. So no wonder that 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 Psalm 32 verses one and two will be such a blessing to King David personally. Blessed is he who transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How happy is that person? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Oh, I'm just so happy. I've been forgiven. My sins have been covered. And how many of us are thankful tonight that there's been some heinous things, some some sick things, some wicked things we've done in the past, but we confess those sins to God. We receive that forgiveness from God. Do you recognize how blessed you are? How many of us give God thanks for that on a regular basis? Now, in these examples that we see of Abraham and David, what we see are, are both sides of the coin of justification. Justification, of course, again, one coin, but there's two sides to this one coin of justification. Because on one side of it, when we look at Abraham, for example, in verse three, he had righteousness imputed or credited into his spiritual account. 
But then when we look in Psalm 32 concerning David and what he shared based on what the Holy Spirit had put upon his heart. Here we see the other side of the coin to justification that sin is not imputed. So for one, righteousness is imputed. And for the other one, sin is not imputed. And so it's as if David or Abraham and those of us who are believers tonight through our faith in Christ, it's as if we have never sinned justified. And I love this full picture of justification that we see in the book of Zechariah. And of course, Zechariah was a prophet. And we can read that book in the Old Testament. And so if you're taking notes or if you have your Bible or device in front of you, you can turn to Zechariah or swipe to Zechariah three verses three and four. It says now Joshua, the high priest. Now, remember, this is a vision that the Lord had given to the prophet Zechariah. And he sees this this high priest named Joshua in his vision. It says that he was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered, God answered and spoke to those who stood before him. And this is what God said. He said, take away the filthy garments from Joshua, this high priest. And to him, he said, speaking to Joshua, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity, iniquity from you. Those were his filthy garments. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And so we see in that example, in that vision God gave to Zechariah, both coins, both sides uh, to the coin of justification, the filthy garments taken away, his iniquity, his lawlessness, his sin removed from him, not imputed to him, and then clothed with rich robes. And praise God that we are clothed with a rich robe of righteousness from Jesus Christ. The only one who lived the perfect life, the only one who was righteous and not just as God, because he's fully God, but also as fully man. He never sinned. And so his righteousness is put into our accounts. We are clothed with his rich robes and our filthiness. Praise God is removed from us. In verse nine, it says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised? That is the Jews only. Or upon the uncircumcised also speaking of Gentiles. And so the answer to that question that we'll see all the way through verse 12 will reveal, of course, that the blessing of being justified is available to all Jews and non-Jews that we call Gentiles. So here's part of the answer still in verse nine, the second part of verse nine. For we say that faith was accounted To Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the outward sign of circumcision, which was a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. That he might be the father, that is the spiritual father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And also in verse 12, the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, 
so they're not only circumcised, but they also walk in, in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. And so you see the answer to that question in verse 9. Does this blessedness of justification, is that just for the Jews, the circumcised, or the uncircumcised also? And so to prove that point, it brings out a great observation that's there right before us in the Old Testament. It's right there wide open. We see that Abraham was justified, declared righteous by God or in God's sight. In other words, he, he has a right standing in God's sight while he was uncircumcised. And so not only does it give hope to the Jews who are physical descendants of Abraham, but also to the Gentiles who are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And so that illustration, of course, that observation was pointed out in the New Testament. And that's what we mean that scripture will give commentary on other scripture. And so in the Old Testament, there's a saying that there are some things in the Old Testament that are concealed. In other words, the full meaning is not brought out. But in the New Testament, those same things that are concealed in the Old Testament are now, of course, revealed. And this is an example of that just to prove that, hey, Gentiles can be justified by faith as well, not just Jews. Now, notice that it says it mentions those who walk in the steps of the faith that Abraham had. So what is the faith that he had, that faith that uh, that, that they follow, that even we follow who are believers? Well, that faith that he had was that he, he took God at his word. As simple as that. God says something and he took God at his word when God mentioned to him that, hey, multitudes are going to come from. You're going to have a multitude of descendants. Because at at one point, I'm sure Abraham I believe it's in Genesis chapter 15. You know, he began to get a little concerned about about this promise from God. About being uh, the father of a great nation and so forth about all the nations and the families of the of the earth being blessed in him he didn't see any fruit from that and so he had a servant and he was like hey this person is is raised into my house how about them how about they become the heir god was like no and he reassured him look this is the promise you're going to have a multitude of descendants. They're going to come from you. And so he took God at his word. That's the type of faith that he had. That's the type of faith us believers and, and even Jews who put their faith in Christ. That's the type of faith that we follow, that we walk in the steps of. Like what it says in Galatians chapter three, verses seven and nine. It says, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And that's, of course, because we imitate his faith. We follow his pattern. Just like Jesus told some of the Jews who weren't believers. He called them the children of the devil. Does that mean that they were literal offsprings of the devil? No, it means that they imitated his ways. That they followed the devil's patterns. 
And in this way, we are spiritual sons or children of Abraham through faith because we imitate his faith. We follow his pattern of faith, those steps of faith, which makes us heirs of those promises, those blessings that were to him and his descendants. Now, obviously, uh, there, there are some promises made strictly to Israel, the nation that's just for them. But there are spiritual blessings to the believing Jews and Abraham that we are, can, can partake in as well because of our faith, because of our affiliation with Abraham. We are part of his family spiritually. And the scripture in verse 8 of Galatians 3 says, foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We're partakers of those spiritual blessings. And just like Abraham, just like he took God at his word, when God reaffirmed and spoke his promises to him, I wonder if we have taken God at his word. When we read about the promises of God in the Bible, when we hear them in the Bible study, and of course, whatever we hear in Bible study should be based, of course, on his word. When we hear those things, when we read those things, when God speaks those promises into our hearts, do we take God at his word? By anything he has spoken. I wonder if that's the case with us as with Abraham. In verse 13, it says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world, that is the earth, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, that is through keeping the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. Faith is not necessary. If you could work for it just by keeping the law on our own, in our own strength, which, of course, is is impossible for us to do it perfectly. And it says, and the promise is made of no effect or pointless because in verse 15, the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Well, there's still sin without the law. But transgression means that you you violate a law that is known. It is you overstepping something that is known to be wrong. So you're doing it consciously. And so if a person wants uh, to, to earn their way into heaven, to earn justification, to earn promises from God through keeping the law in their own strength, in their flesh, then all that's going to bring about upon them is wrath. Because if you missed one, you've broken them all. And so that brings about judgment. And that's why we need grace. That's why we need Jesus. Because if we work for it by keeping the law on our own, then Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. He would have never had to die there. In verse 16, it says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. That the promise might be sure, that the promise might be certain or guaranteed to all the seed or descendants. And not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith or who share the faith of Abraham. 
who is the spiritual father of us all. As it is written, and what we see here in quotes actually uh, support the phrase um, that, that he is the father of us all. So that's all it's doing with this uh, with this parenthesis here in verse 17. It says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. As a matter of fact, Abraham's name was changed from Abram. Abram means exalted father and Abraham means father of a multitude. And so before he was even a father of a multitude, God had already changed his name. And so Abraham at one point didn't see what God saw him to be. But that's what he was in God's eyes. There's some of us in here who are not seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. We are still seeing ourselves as the old us, as as Abram, so to speak, just to use his name as an example. We are still seeing the old us, but we're not seeing ourselves as in Christ. We're not seeing ourselves from the lens that God sees us through. And the only way you're going to see yourselves through the lens that God sees you through is if you see what God says about you in his word was his truth. And so his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, father of a multitude. I have made you a father of many nations in verse 17 in parentheses. And so he's a father of us all. In the presence of him, in the sight of him whom Abraham believed. So in God's sight, he's the father of us all, father of many nations. This God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope. He didn't have any reason to hope and hope, believe hope, a joyful expectation of coming good and hope still believe so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And that's, of course, quoted from Genesis 15, verse five. And in verse 19, it says, and not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead. That is in a figurative sense, since he was about 100 years old. And he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. She's 10 years younger than him, 90 years old. So God, just to look at these promises here, he he, he promised to make of Abraham, this great nation. He he promised to bless them. He promised to make his name great. And we touched on that a little bit at the beginning of the study. He promised that, that, that hey, you're going to be a blessing and we, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who, who curse you, Abraham, that, that in you all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And of course, his descendants will be multiplied and we find ultimate fulfillment in Christ. We find ultimate fulfillment of these promises to Abraham in Jesus, because Jesus is the seed with the capital S of Abraham, as you find out in the in the letter to the Galatians. So we see those promises, but the problem that Abraham faced was that, hey, he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, when he when he had to leave his family, when he had to make his way to the promised land, Canaan, 75 years old. And he has this promise 
to, to, to be this father, this forefather of a great nation, to have multitudes come from him, from his seed. And then he went on to dwell in Canaan for 10 years and, and still had no child to the point where his wife, Sarah, she began to, to worry and try to help God out and say, here, you take my maidservant, you take Hagar. I'll give her to you as a concubine, as a wife, and, and, and you have relations with her and have a child. Maybe this is the way that God is going to fulfill his promise. And so at the age of 86 now, he has this son, Ishmael. And maybe at one point they thought that was going to work. But of course, God made it clear that no, Ishmael is not the son of promise. In fact, he's the son of the flesh because that is Sarah and Abraham trying to help God out to fulfill his promises. And I want to submit to, to you tonight that some of us, unfortunately, have a bunch of Ishmaels running around. That we're trying to make something spiritual happen. We're trying to help God out so bad that we do something in the flesh. And now we have all kinds of Ishmaels running around that have to be dealt with. But no, God said, no, he is not the one. There's, there's, there's going to be a seed. There's going to be a son of promise who's going to come from the womb of your wife, Sarah. But of course, it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when, when Isaac, the son of promise, was born to him. But Abraham, as we see, and many of us know the story very well, uh, throughout this time, throughout these years that he was waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. He, he appeared to be in a dead situation, even from the beginning of a situation. He, he appeared to be in a dead situation. Everything appeared to be dead. His body, oh, I'm a, I'm an elderly man of 75 first off, and then I'm gonna have somebody, I'm, I'm gonna have this son of promise when I'm 100, my wife is 90. A dead situation. And for some of us, we, we have some things in our lives, situations in our lives where it appears to be dead. Maybe for us, like Abraham, maybe it's some type of capability within our bodies and, and we think that all hope is lost. That this situation is over, that this situation is dead, or maybe the opportunity for me to make an impact in this world, maybe that opportunity has sailed me by. Those opportunities are gone. I am dead as far as being useful to God. Maybe some of us are in that situation where things appear to be dead, or maybe it is a career that we have been longing for, we went to school for, and, and everything seems to be lining up at one point, but all the hope has been wiped away, and everything has been dashed away. And so now that that career opportunity appears to be dead, and the relationship that some of us have with our children and maybe some of these children have veered off or maybe there's a family member where there's some type of friction in the family and maybe that relationship appears to be dead. Maybe some type of friction between one believer and another believer. Maybe that friction caused you to have something in your mind that said, hey, this relationship appears to be dead. It appears to be a lost cause. So we can identify many of us with Abraham's situation. How can this 
happen? How can you use me, Lord? How can you fulfill this promise in and through me if all hope is gone, if I'm in a dead situation? But I just want to share with you tonight, encourage you tonight that you don't have to fear that. You don't have to worry about that. And that's because we serve a God who specializes in bringing the dead back to life. This same God isn't interested into modifying behavior, into making bad people good. He is interested in making dead people live. And I'm talking about spiritually dead people who has no relationship with Christ, who are on their way to hell without him. He specializes in bringing the dead back to life. Those those marriages that appear to be dead, God can raise those up. The relationship with the children that appear to be dead, God can raise those up. He can raise up those situations, those relationships. So don't, cons- so don't consider what appears to be. But trust in God as, as Abraham did. In verse 20, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, some of you may wonder, well, I remember when Abraham did this and that, and Abraham laughed and, and he lied, said Sarah was his sister and so forth. But overall, the overall picture of his life was a life of faith. And so he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's quoted again, Genesis 15 and 6. Now, what's not written What we see there was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, that his righteousness was imputed to him. But it was also written for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. One thing that this tells me as I read those verses is that God is intentional. He is an intentional God. As far as what he includes in the scriptures, he included this information about Abraham on purpose. To give us hope, to give us instruction about having a right standing with God through faith. He's intentional about what he included in the scriptures about many other circumstances and situations and and doctrines or teachings. But the question is, are we benefiting From what is written, from what God intentionally had written. Maybe there's some examples that we are not to follow. And I'm sure there's plenty of examples that we are to follow. There's some scriptures in here that should convict us, that are designed to convict us of sin, to shine a light in that darkness in our lives. There's some scriptures like that. There's also some scriptures that remind us of how loved we are and And how wonderful we are in the sight of God. How he treasures us. There's some scriptures like that. But are we benefiting from what is written? And as I talk about the intentionality of God. How purposeful he is in including certain things in the Bible. As I talk about that. We see something very intentional in verse 24. That is the second half of it where it says it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. 
And so it is God's intention to show us the specific way that righteousness will be imputed to us. That is those who believe in him. He's showing us how to get this done, this imputation done in our lives. We believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, but also from this intentional scripture. You can also infer or come to the conclusion that if we attempt to put our trust in any other God, in any other God who did not raise Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, then there is no hope of justification or having a right standing in the sight of God. Now, this Jesus in verse 25, still in Romans four, was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I like how it reads in the uh, New Living Translation, the second half of 25, it says he was raised to life to make us right with God. He was raised to secure our justification, in other words. And so in this in this verse, we're going to look at some theological things here and some essential Christian doctrines here just in this in this verse in verse 25. And one essential Christian doctrine that is uh, we, we, we can't have complete or a full understanding of Christianity without this teaching. Especially when it comes to salvation. And that's number one. We see that Jesus was not delivered up. He didn't die for his own sins. That is an essential to the Christian faith when it comes to salvation. That's important to understand. He didn't die for his own sins. He was sinless. He is sinless still. That's very important to understand. But the other essential doctrine that we get from verse 25 is that Jesus was resurrected. Is that we don't serve a dead man. We don't serve a dead God, but we serve a living God. We serve a living savior who is at the right hand of God and he's making intercession for us. He is our representative. He is our high priest, as we learn in the book of Hebrews. This is the kind of savior that we serve, that he was resurrected. That tomb was empty. Still empty. It was on that third day, that Sunday morning, and it still is empty today. And that's very important because, as Jesus says, if if he lives, then we'll live also. And so that's hope for us. And the fact that he was resurrected is important from the standpoint that it means that God accepted God the Father accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. That God the Father did not reject it. As a matter of fact, all throughout Jesus' life, he was commended by God the Father. You would see things like, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He never said that he was displeased with Jesus, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He always pleased the Father. And thought, words, and actions. Sinless. Was resurrected from the dead. And so that resurrection serves as the receipt that our sins have been paid for. 
that his sacrifice was accepted on our behalf and that because he lives, so will we. And so those are two important doctrines, essential Christian doctrines that are pointed out in that verse 25. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if you want to write this down or turn to it, it says, and if Christ is not risen, still talking about his resurrection, if he is not risen, then your faith is futile. Your faith is useless. And what does that mean? That you are still in your sins. You're still in your sins. We, we are all still in our sins if he is not risen. Because that would mean that his sacrifice was not accepted. And so two, again, very important doctrines there in verse 25. Now, as we look back at Abraham's life, what we see is that the promise to him was guaranteed. We see, in other words, that that the promises made to him, as we see in verse 16, was a sure thing. It was it was sure it was guaranteed. It was certain because he received it by faith. And we see also that he had that righteousness imputed to him. And the fact that it was received by faith, that promise that Abraham received, demonstrates that the promise was offered in the first place as a gift by the grace of God. And I just wonder how many people in here have, or or maybe you're doing that right now, or you know of people who are looking for that sure thing in life. They are looking for that hole in one in life. And maybe they are looking for that bullseye in life, that sure thing. Maybe, maybe there's a sports team or some franchise and you hear it year after year when they go to draft. They're looking for that sure number one pick who's going to change their franchise. Or maybe it's a young lady who is always looking for that Mr. Right. Or maybe it's that young man who is looking for that Wonder Woman. Or maybe it's some type of study you're doing, some research you're doing on the Internet or whatever the case is to make sure that when you make something or do something that you do it exactly right all the time so that you get the best results All the time, everybody is looking for that sure thing in various areas of life. But but I'm just blessed tonight because, and I believe that you're blessed tonight because when it comes to the promise of salvation, salvation is a sure thing for the person who has faith in Christ. Because just as Abraham received his promise by faith, because it was offered to him as a gift or by grace, We receive salvation through faith because of grace, because it is the gift of God to us. And we know that otherwise, if we were left to ourselves, we would totally drop the ball when it came to our own salvation. We would totally miss. It would not be dead on. It would not be a hole in one. It would not be a bullseye if left to ourselves. When it came to salvation. So, so praise God that the promise of salvation is a sure thing for us through faith because it is given by the grace of God. And you see that principle once again in Romans 4 verse 16. And so we should be thanking God for his grace. That no God, I do not deserve it. 
No, God, I, yes, I was a knucklehead, but, but by your grace, you saved me. You made the salvation a sure thing for me through my faith in Christ. And though I was horrible to people all my life, but by your grace, you saved me. You have given me this gift, and therefore, it is a sure thing that I have in my life. And that's very important for us as believers. Because it's true. It is from the mouth of God that we see recorded in his word. But maybe it is that you are struggling as a believer tonight as the worship team comes up. Maybe you're struggling because everything in your life that you thought was a sure thing, everything in your life that you thought was a certain thing, that you thought was a bullseye, that you thought was a hole in one. Maybe you see those things shifting like shifting sand. Now I come from California, so I experienced earthquakes and I experienced the different type of movements, the swaying, the up and down and so forth. And so I experienced those. So maybe you, you, you thought you were in some type of relationship or, or maybe your job was, was a sure thing. Maybe your finances you thought at one point was a sure thing. You're, you're putting all this money in a 401k or you're putting all this money in the bank. You're saving up for a rainy day. You thought it was a sure thing, but maybe it got stolen or, or maybe you had to use it for something else or maybe the stock market or whatever crashed. Maybe you thought that, oh, if I would just have a family, I would I would be sure to find fulfillment in life. Maybe if I reach my goals that I had since I was seven years of age, maybe that will be the surest thing in my life. That stable thing in my life. So maybe you are in that position tonight. But what you depending on. What you thought was stable, maybe is shifting. Ministry shifting. I, I thought it was this way, but it, I, I'm unsure. But praise God with all of those shifting things, those those things that are not so sure, not so certain in our lives. Praise God that the salvation that God offers to us is a sure thing. At the end of the day, listen, money is going to come and go. Houses are going to come and go. Cars are going to get repossessed. Hopefully not. But I'm sure that happened to some people. Boyfriend, girlfriend is going to come and go. You're going to find out at some time, okay, they are not the right ones. Maybe there is some type of politician you like. They're going to come and go. But your salvation is a sure thing. At the end of the day, listen, you're going to heaven. This is not your home. You are passing through. You are a pilgrim. This is a short stay. But while you're here, of course, we want to make it count. We want to be faithful to God. But understand, look, in in this world of uncertainties, at the end of the day, we are going to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with God. We're going to be in a place where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more pain, where there's no more sickness, where my health is up and down. My health is not a bullseye. My health is not a sure thing. But this salvation is a sure thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that that you are a God we can trust. You are not like, like man that you should lie. 
and what you offer to us by your grace. Lord, we can count on it. We can we can bank on it. And, and Lord, we just praise you for that. Maybe there's somebody here tonight. You've been having a bad month. Been having a bad week. You've been having a bad day. Feel like the rug spiritually has been just snatched from under you. Listen, be be encouraged. Be encouraged with the fact that you're going to heaven. And I think God allows those things to happen, those things that we thought were a bullseye or for sure in our lives. I, I believe God allows those things to, to crumble, to be snatched from under us. At times, because if they didn't, then we would not be eternally minded. We will be so focused on these temporary things on this earth that we would never be eternally minded, looking forward to, being thankful for, just that eternal blessing with him. Listen, new heavens, new earth, the old things, gone. Behold, Jesus says, I make all things new. And listen, those words from Christ. That's a sure thing. So as we go through life, listen. Take care of our earthly responsibilities. We don't want to be irresponsible. Be faithful to whatever God has called you to do. But remember, eternity, eternity with God. If anybody needs prayer or want to receive Christ, I'll be down here and hopefully someone else will join me and we'll be willing to pray with you. So, Father, I pray your blessing right now upon your people. I pray, Lord, that they will be encouraged when they leave this place. I pray, Father, that that those who are depending on something that's not sure, I pray that they'll have a heart of repentance and turn to you. Reestablish that fellowship, Lord. And may you bless them, Lord, as they leave this place, but never from your presence. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you all for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your attentiveness. And, and, I, and I just believe that many of you are making And we'll make the devil mad tonight and this week. Amen.
God bless you. The verse in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for what? An eternal weight of glory. Beyond what? All comparison. I love that. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. Having a light touch on this world. The Lord is good. I love those things that Darrell was mentioning. I don't love them, but I've seen so many of those things happen in my life and people around us. And those things do come and go. But man, how awesome is it that the foundation that our, e, our salvation and eternity is strong and never wavers. The Lord never changes. Amen. So I'm thankful for the skies Cause without them I wouldn't know your heart And I know they'll always tell of who you are So forever I am thankful for the sky I can see I can see how you delivered me in your hands, in your feet. I found my victory. I can see, I can see how you delivered me in your hands, in your feet. I found my victory. So I'm thankful for your scars cause without them I wouldn't know your heart and with my life I'll tell of who you are so forever I am thankful I'm thankful for the scars cause without them I wouldn't tell of who you are so forever I am thankful for the scars so forever I am thankful for the scars God bless you